Chapter 8, verse 1 And when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand, and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Christ is the miracle maker, without exception. Buddha, Muhammad, and Confucius never performed miracles. Jesus Christ performed miracles like nobody ever did. Here in verse 2 he's called Lord, a term to describe his deity, very God and very man. By verse 3 the Lord touches this man with leprosy, an awful disease, and immediately he is cleansed. And I've spoken so many times over the years about these so-called faith healers and these miracle makers and they claim to do this and they claim to do that and I remember going to a retreat some years ago with a sister in the Lord and these two ladies were running this retreat and they claimed to have the sign gifts and they had people that were spending two, three, four, five, six months at this retreat receiving healing receiving restoration not found in the scripture those that came to the Lord to be healed were healed straight away immediately they were made completely well and I can't think of any healer anywhere in the world that has this type of ministry no Pope has ever healed no Archbishop of Canterbury has ever healed the Lord did the healings through the power of the Holy Spirit the Apostles had the sign gifts and some of their associates had the sign gifts as well but also keep in mind that the book of Acts where we read about these healings covers a 30 year period and by the end of Acts people are unwell people are sick people are dying and they're not being resurrected when Herod killed James in Acts chapter 12 nobody resurrected him Paul couldn't heal Timothy. Some other associates of Paul were sick and weren't being healed. And that should be evidence in and of itself that the sign gifts were for a sign to Israel for a limited period of time. Once the New Testament had been written, once the apostles had started to die, the sign gifts were slowly being reduced and in the end they became non-existent why well we now live by faith the just shall live by faith but saying that let me say this that you can still call on the Lord to be healed of a particular illness if you need to and he may heal you he may not do you can get two or three saved people to come together and pray for a sick party he may heal that sick party but he may not but here the Lord is doing the healing through the Holy Spirit and this leper is being cleansed straight away and he worships him the first part of verse 2 to worship a man would be sacrilege it would be blasphemy but here Christ accepts the worship because he is God you call me Lord and Master and so I am that's what he said very God and very man. He expects worship because he's God. 
4. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. Don't go and tell Pilate, don't go and tell Caiaphas, don't go and tell Herod. Don't go and tell this person, don't go and tell that person. Go to the priest and give God the glory through the sacrifice. It's interesting, in fact it's fascinating that the Lord God, Jehovah himself, didn't choose Caiaphas, didn't choose Nicodemus, didn't choose any of the Sanhedrin, didn't choose Joseph of Arimathea, didn't choose Pilate, didn't choose Herod, didn't choose any of these scholars, didn't even choose Paul initially, but he chose John the Baptist, a man in the desert, a man who would be considered today to be eccentric, this bizarre character who, dressed in a very unorthodox manner, lived out in the wilderness, lived in the extreme parts of Jerusalem, just outside, and this man would preach hellfire, and he proclaimed the coming Messiah, and some of his disciples became some of the Lord's apostles. The Lord himself didn't go through the Jewish system. John the Baptist wasn't an ordained priest in the temple. He was outside of organized religion. Jesus comes along. He doesn't go into the temple. He doesn't start preaching alongside the priests and the scribes. He doesn't start to offer his own sacrifices for his followers. He was completely independent of organized religion. And here in 4, the restored man who was healed straight away was told to go up to the temple with a gift and tell the priest what has happened. Because the Lord came to fulfill the law. And up until that time, the law was still very much in place. And the clearest way to give the Lord glory was through a sacrifice because pilgrims would be traveling up throughout the year, all year round, and this man would have arrived and he would have said something like, I've been healed, I want to give God the glory, the great healer from Galilee healed me. But uh, the Lord didn't need anybody to testify about him from John 3, because he knew what was in men. And uh, men are depraved, men are sinners, and men without the new birth, are going to end up in hell. 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant, lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Here you find a Gentile approaching the Jewish Messiah. Quite possibly he could have been one of the soldiers that John baptized in the third chapter of Luke by Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, a Roman centurion soldier also, believes in the Lord, but he wasn't yet saved because up until this point in the Lord's ministry, he's still preaching first and foremost to Israel. He hasn't yet died on the cross. He hasn't yet initiated the new covenant. Hence why Peter had to go up to Cornelius and present to him Jesus. But here, this man is pleading with the Lord Jesus to heal his servant. 7. 
And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Verse 2, he's called Lord. Verse 8, he's called Lord. This term Lord means far more than just a master, far more than just an important person. The Greek word for Lord nearly always is Krylios, and uh, Krylios is used to denote God himself. Now, whether or not the centurion had the same understanding of the Lord's deity as the man in verse 2 did isn't completely clear. However, they knew that he was doing miracles. They had faith to come to be healed. They believed on him. So they approached him with faith and I think it's quite fair to say that they probably knew more about his ministry and more about who he was than a lot of the liberals and so-called religious people today do. 9. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. 8 and 9. Show humility. He knows he's a sinner. He doesn't really want the Lord to enter into his house. He'd rather the Lord just speak the word and his servant be healed. It's similar to what we find with Peter when he says to the Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. There's a lot of faith happening here. And this centurion is so conscious of the fact that the Lord is holy and righteous and quite possibly even sinless. He may have known that at this time, we don't know. But he's pleading with the Lord in a very gentle way to just speak the word you don't have to come into my house there may have been problems in this man's house there may have been sin in this man's house and he was conscious of that but uh, look at 10 when Jesus heard it he marveled and said to them that followed verily I say unto you I have not found so great faith no not in Israel this man's faith was incredible he was a non-Jew. And this multitude, these people that are following him, must have been astonished to see a Gentile, a Roman soldier, a pagan, coming to this Jewish carpenter, begging him to heal his servant. And the Lord turns around to the people of Israel and he says, I haven't seen anything like this anywhere in Israel up until this time of my ministry. 11. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Marriage supper of the Lamb, quite possibly the commencement of the thousand year reign. And uh, as I said before, that he wasn't only going to come just for the people of Israel. He was always going to be the Messiah of the Gentiles as well. This must have been shocking though to hear verse 11. But look at 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The children of the kingdom here are the Jews. He is a Jewish Messiah. 
and technically they were the children of the king in the kingdom, but they didn't believe in him. So they became illegitimate, they became the unbelievers, hence why they are outside of the kingdom. A quick cross-reference uh, back to 1 Samuel, please. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, look at verse 9. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. Two things to say there, he will keep the feet of his saints, that's eternal security. As I say, John 10 told us that the Father has you in his hand, and also the Son has you in his hand. But the latter part I'm primarily interested in. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. There's a picture of the second death, the unsaved. And here, this is cross-reference with Matthew 8, where the children go into darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This has an application, first of all, to the first death, which we find in Luke 16. But post the first death, we go to Revelation chapter 21, where the unsaved are in the lake of fire. And they become blind, they become dumb, and their souls become like a worm shape. Hence why they are silent in darkness. Just a quick footnote, while I am in First uh, Samuel chapter 2, Look at verse 6. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. There's a picture of the rapture. The grave in the Old Testament is hell, Hades. And uh, these people were killed and they were made alive. Now you could easily look at that and cross-reference it to John 5:25 to 29, if you choose to, and say that uh, this is a picture of unsaved people being put to death and then resurrected to be sent into the lake of fire which would kind of fit really with verse 9 but you could also look at this and say this is a picture of the rapture because verse 9 also speaks about the saints being kept preserved so just a quick footnote I wanted to offer you whilst I was there Anyway, please turn back to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 13. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. On this occasion, the centurion's faith was sufficient to allow his servant to be healed. He interceded on behalf of his sick servant, and the Lord himself healed the sick servant. But not every time in scripture do we come across people needing faith to be healed. As I've said repeatedly, there are occasions when people had no faith to be healed, and were healed nonetheless. There are dead people that couldn't have had any faith and were resurrected. So you don't need to have faith all of the time. However, if you came to the Lord with faith, you were always healed. That must be underscored without exception. And I make this point one more time, if I may. How many healing ministries do you know about anywhere in the world today 
that heal everybody without exception. I don't know any, and I've met people on the streets that claim that the sign gifts are still for today, and I say to them, well, if you believe that healing is still for today, maybe you and I ought to go to the local hospital or the local children's ward and start clearing out these hospital beds. Maybe we ought to go down to the cemetery and start resurrecting some of these dead people. And they turn around and they walk away very quickly. Counterfeits, charlatans, con men. 14. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto them. All of the apostles, for the most part, were married. They had children. This notion, this erroneous teaching that you find in the Church of Rome, that to be a priest means you have to be single, isn't found in any of the scriptures. In fact, just go back to the first chapter, when we read of Joseph being engaged to Mary. The thought of anybody in biblical times being married and then turning around to your wife or your husband and saying we will never have any sex seems completely absurd you were told in first timothy 5 that if you didn't provide for your family you were an infidel that of course is aimed at a man providing for his wife and children but even paul says in other parts of scriptures like first corinthians 7 that separation for a time was good but then the husband and wife would have to come back together again to avoid temptation to avoid sin to avoid the devil getting a foothold sexual intercourse is found throughout both testaments so it's always been a strange area to try and understand but of course it goes back to financial reasons the church of rome don't want to pay for their priests worldwide to have wives to have children to go to private schools you know, it, it's, it starts to get very expensive. So if they can keep a man a bachelor all of his days, they spend less money, and that money which they would have spent on the priest and his wife and his children is now being spent on all these paedophile payouts, which have gone into billions and billions of dollars worldwide. But here, Peter has a wife. She's sick. The Lord is going to heal her, and again, it happens straight away always straight away never any delay never any relapse it's always straight away and if you come across these people that claim to be apostolic and i've met a few of them as i've already said just take them to these scriptures and ask them does your pastor or does your evangelist or does your prayer team or do your elders come anywhere near to what we find here in scripture because this is our blueprint we go to the word of god to check these people out and if they are apostolic if they are who they say they are and if they have the credentials which they claim to have then we would be able to substantiate it and their ministry should line up nicely they should harmonize perfectly with the new testament but i've yet to meet these people and i've been saved 10 years now and I hear from people all the time, all around the world, and I speak to people on the streets regularly, and I've yet to meet anybody whose ministry comes anywhere near what we find in 14 and 15. 16. When the evening was come, 
they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities, and bare our sicknesses. Two points to make here. First of all, when you believe on the Lord, you are healed of your sin problem. But that doesn't necessarily mean you will be healed of your sick problem. You will still have ailments and you will still die. Paul had a sight problem which wasn't healed. The best saints throughout church history have all had physical ailments. So just because you got saved and you were forgiven doesn't mean you are going to be physically healed of all of your ailments. Very few people that I know are ailment free. Very few people that I know have no issues whatsoever. In fact, most of the people that I know that are saved have health issues. But Paul said that when he was weak, he was strong. So through your sickness, through your infirmities, you can learn to be stronger and you can learn to walk closer with the Lord through your issues, through your illnesses, through your disabilities, through your ailments, just because that is how the Lord wants it to be. But sometimes he may restore somebody completely. He may give them a, a brand new start. But again, my experience has shown me that most people that are saved have at least one or two ongoing ailments. Nobody is completely free of these issues. 16. These people were possessed with devils, demons, unclean spirits. Also, this expression many and all are used interchangeably. It says here that they brought many that were sick and he healed all of them. And this falls into the Calvinist and Armenian area that the Lord wants many to be saved. He tasted death for every man. Uh, all of Jerusalem, all of Judea came out to him and what these verses simply mean is that all those that were in those towns that wanted to be healed came out to be healed. Not all without exception, because back in the third chapter of Matthew, it says all of Jerusalem and all of Judea went to be baptized of John, while all of Jerusalem would have included the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, and all of their staff, and they didn't come out to be baptized so when it says all it can mean all those that wanted to come to be healed from those towns came from those towns to be healed whether it's found in the eighth chapter or the third chapter but here in 16 all and many are used interchangeably and he just spoke a word he healed them that's the power of the Lord 18 now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. This is an amazing scripture. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was a travelling preacher. He didn't have castles. He didn't have his own swimming pools. He didn't have his own team of bodyguards. He lived and travelled. He practised what he preached. 
from verse 19, the scribe calls him master, not Lord. So already there's a bit of a, a doubt there as to his willingness to submit to the Lord's ministry, to the Lord's deity. 21, and another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Until you are born again, you are dead in sin. And here is a clear, unequivocal call to forsake all and come and follow me. If your family aren't saved, the chances are they will never be saved. Therefore, you need to make a decision whether to stay with your dead family or come and follow me. Abraham was told to leave his pagan family in the book of Genesis and go and follow the Lord. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's one thing to believe on the Lord to be saved, but he says, you are my disciples indeed, if you continue on in my word. So there's a call to continue on. There's a call to separation. Let the dead bury their dead. 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him, and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose, and rebuked the winds, and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marvelled, saying, What manner of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. They knew that he was God. And I believe even up until this early part of the Lord's ministry, these apostles were saved. Because only God can calm nature. Only God can rule the waves and rebuke the devil. And no doubt the devil was behind this, trying to cause the apostles to capsize and drown as I say, that is what Antichrist does. But uh, he takes control and he calms their faith. Just want to point quickly to cover from 21. And here you find another of his disciples saying to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Now, John chapter 6 says that many disciples didn't believe on him and walked no longer with him. So here, again, you can start with the Lord, but turn around and walk away from him, which, according to 1 John chapter 2, proves that you were never saved to begin with. These people had some head knowledge, but their hearts weren't circumcised. So they started out with him, but when problems arose or there were issues which they couldn't handle, they weren't prepared to pay the price, maybe, they turned around and forsook him and went back to their pre-time with him but so uh, you can't use these verses to prove or to argue that once saved you can be lost no they went out from us because they weren't of us first john chapter 2 demonstrating that they were none of us they weren't saved to begin with that's all that means 28 and when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gerginus. They met him too possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. 
And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Revelation 14 speaks about the Lamb dealing with the unsaved, the wicked, in the lake of fire. All of the spirit realm knew who the Lord Jesus Christ was. But uh, the problem has always remained that man won't bend the knee, man won't read the Bible, man won't get on his knees and call on the Lord to be saved and experience a revelation as to the Lord's ministry. But here, these spirits in this man know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Again, it says to possess with devils. Normally, when you get two people in scripture, the writer may mention two people, but focus primarily on the main speaker, which sometimes gives the impression of a contradiction, when in reality all the writer is doing is focusing, as I say, on the main speaker of the two. 30. And there was a good way off from them, a herd, of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled, and went their ways into the city, and told everything, and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. What a damning piece of scripture. Here, the Messiah has released devils from two possessed people. The local villagers come out to hear what has happened. And they don't want to rejoice with this healed man, which in the Gospel of Mark, I believe, wanted to follow the Lord. And he said, no, you stay here. But they said to him, we want you to leave. Please go. You are bad for business. These swines have all choked and sunk in the sea. This is the reality that man doesn't want the Lord. Men love darkness rather than light. And I believe if the Lord came back to the UK tomorrow and preached in London, Manchester, Glasgow or Sheffield or Birmingham or Devon or Wales, this would happen on the streets in the UK. People would come out and say, we don't want you here, Lord. Please depart from our cities. We are quite happy living our own lives. We don't want you to rule over us. And when he does come back at the second coming, he will slay all of his enemies, according to Psalm 110. But uh, you may want to read the cross-references in your own time. It's going to be Mark 5 and Luke 8. Remember, Matthew's Gospel is the richest out of the other two synoptics when it comes to information. However, saying that, you still need to read the other Gospels to get the entire picture of what is happening but uh, for this purpose for this uh, video for this project I wanted to go to Matthew's Gospel because it's the longest it's the fullest out of the other 
two synoptics, whereas 80% of what you find in John's Gospel isn't found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Okay, so that will conclude the eighth chapter, all 34 verses. A lot of stuff in there. And uh, next up, I will look at the ninth chapter.